Welcome back to Toxic Bliss, Surviving Narcissism with me, Awen Reese. In the last episode, Mike had moved into my tiny apartment with me and we had begun to forge something of a life together. Although I had made countless compromises in order to keep him happy and calm, overall things were really good. We hadn't had an argument or even a mild disagreement in almost three weeks. This was a small miracle and one that I was very thankful for. As long as I was catering to his every need, and indeed his every whim, life was great. It was December now, and Christmas was coming. Christmas is a big thing for me. I love to decorate and bake and wrap presents and listen to Christmas music. I had spent many, many years in various choirs while I was in school and in the community, and the entire month of December was usually spent performing Christmas carols all over the state. This year, though... I was just staying home, doing some nesting sort of things. Mike had cautioned me that he hated Christmas. He hated the lights, the music, the trees, the presents, the noise, all of it. I just shrugged because I wasn't going to not do Christmas because he was a Grinch. He would just have to cope. We didn't argue about it. I simply informed him that Christmas was a big deal for me, and I would make it very special for Maggie, and I didn't want to hear any crap about it. I was very matter-of-fact with him. There was no room for disagreement here, and he seemed to take that on board. The funny thing about narcissists like Mike, most of them, the ones that I've come to know anyway, hate holidays, especially Christmas. They never have a good answer as to why, but I have a sneaky feeling that at least part of it is about the pressure to be nice and giving and think of others first. They can do this when they're trying to love-bomb or hoover someone into their orbit, but as a general rule, being a loving, giving, compassionate person is anathema to them. Although they certainly love being showered with gifts, feeling pressure to reciprocate is irritating to them. Mike would often say, I'd rather give you a gift any time of year because I want to, not because I have to. But I was determined to have a wonderful Christmas and show him that it really can be a lovely, magical, happy event. One Sunday afternoon, early in December, my mother was taking me out with her to do some Christmas shopping. I didn't have a lot of money to spend, but I had made an extra hundred bucks by wrapping presents for other people. I loved to wrap presents, and lots of people hated it. It was a win-win situation for me. We dropped Maggie off at my grandparents' for the afternoon. She loved to visit with her great-grandma and great-grandpa, and I needed her to stay there so I could shop for her presents without her with me. I wasn't comfortable leaving her home with Mike, and my grandparents adored her, so another win-win situation. It doesn't take long to finish shopping for Christmas when you only have about $200 to spend, so we finished quickly and then went out to lunch. On the way home, we stopped at the dollar store to get some more stocking stuffers, and they had a little three-foot Christmas tree with lights and everything for ten bucks. Mom got it for me so Maggie would have a tree. We went and picked up Maggie and headed back to the apartment. It took me a few trips to get everything upstairs, especially without letting Maggie peek in the bags, and when I walked in the apartment, I was shocked. Mike had decorated for Christmas. There were lights strung all around the apartment, 
There were little Christmas decorations everywhere. There were even carols playing. My jaw fell open as I looked around the transformation. It was amazing. Mike laughed with glee at my reaction. Now that's the look I was hoping to see, he said. Maggie ran inside and looked around. She was so pleased. Do you like it? Mike asked. Oh, yes, it's wonderful, I said. Thank you so much. Knowing how much he hated the holiday and knowing that he would go to all this trouble just for me and Maggie, I was really touched. Where do you get all this stuff, I asked. All of my Christmas decor had been lost in the storage unit. Well, when you left, I walked up to the dollar store and I bought it and got home to decorate before you did. I wanted to surprise you. I handed him the box with the little tree, and he found a perfect spot for it and had it up in no time. This was good. This was affirming and positive, and maybe life with him is going to work out after all. This was his big compromise, and it meant the world to me. I set to work making a pot roast for dinner, and I was perfectly and disgustingly happy. It was cold, it was snowing outside, Christmas lights were inside and out. Our apartment was on the second floor of a building on the main street of town, so all the little shops down below were decked out for the season with lights and decorations, too. The view was beautiful. Something about that whole wintry Sunday afternoon feeling, you know, being inside where it's warm and there's glittering lights everywhere and the smell of a roast cooking. This was just perfect. This was my bliss. Until I made a mistake. Once Maggie had gone to bed for the night, I set up shop at the kitchen table to get all of her presents wrapped. I had a small pile of things that I had picked up for Mike to send to Bella and the baby back in Florida, and I wanted to show him. Why do you get things for them? he asked, confused. Um, because it's Christmas, and they're your children, and you should send them some presents? Why do you think? Puh, they don't want anything for me. Tina will probably just throw them out. <laughs> no, Tina doesn't throw anything out. Don't worry about that. But they need to know that you're thinking about them. It's important, I explained. That's stupid, he scoffed. Just wrap them up for Maggie. They don't care. Mike, of course they care. Well, at least Bella does. The baby's probably still too little, but we need to send these for her. Trust me, I said. Trust you? She's my daughter. I know how she feels, not you. I'm not sending anything. Got it? Okay, I said cautiously. I made up my mind right then to wrap them up and send them myself. He'd thank me some day, or maybe Bella would. I don't know, but it didn't matter as long as Bella got them and thought they were from her dad. I let the matter drop, and Mike moved on from it in an instant. He even tried to help me wrap the presents, but I quickly sent him on to other tasks. I'm kind of a perfectionist when it comes to wrapping, thanks to my mother's training, and I was better off left to my own devices. Mike went to work the next day, and Maggie and I walked down to the post office to mail the gifts to Florida. I knew that Tina would recognize my handwriting, but I didn't think she'd care much who addressed the package. The rest of the days before Christmas were filled with baking. I didn't have money to buy presents for everyone in the family, so I made cookies and fudge to put in decorative tins. I had to make a lot more than anticipated because someone decided that Christmas cookies were his new favorite thing ever. I explained that baking ingredients still cost money, so he needed to stop chowing down on them, but I was secretly pleased that he liked them so much. I needn't have worried about Maggie's Christmas presents, 
I was used to very large Christmases, and I had felt bad that this one would be really lean. But my mother, grandmother, Grandma Sue, Grandma Lorraine, everyone in my family made sure that Maggie was showered in gifts. Everything was going so well, and I started to relax and let myself think that all the problems Mike and I had while we were in Florida were simply situational. Now that we were here, on our own, and building something together, all of those problems seemed to vanish like a bad dream. He had quit his job at the dry cleaners, though. The chemicals were really irritating to him. But that was okay, because I had a friend that was a manager of the local McDonald's, whom I had worked for when I was a teenager, and asked him if he could take Mike on, and he agreed. He started immediately. There, crisis averted. I remember walking up there while he was working once in a while, and he'd always get Maggie her favorite, nuggets and french fries, and make a big deal of her visit. It was only a few blocks away, so we'd even trudge through the snow and ice to go see him. Mike had been very self-conscious about working at McDonald's. He thought it was far below his station in life, but I encouraged him as much as I could. After all, pride goeth before the fall. Christmas Day had finally arrived. Maggie woke us up at the crack of dawn, as kids will do, and tore into her stocking presents while Mike and I struggled into consciousness. I made some cinnamon rolls for breakfast, and we settled down on the couch to open all the gifts. Mike seemed very pleased with everything I'd bought him, except that the expensive watch that I got him was a little too feminine for his liking, the t-shirts were the wrong size, the gaming dice that I had got him custom-ordered were the wrong color, but, you know, generally he liked everything. Maggie, thankfully, was beside herself with joy as she opened gift after gift. There hadn't been anything under the tree for me, but I hadn't really expected much. My mother's had all given me so much the past few months for the apartment and for Maggie, and that was what was important. But I did feel a little bad, I'll admit it. I spent more than I should have on Mike, and one would think that he could have gotten me a card or something. But, oh well, this was the time for giving, not receiving, right? I started picking up all the discarded wrapping paper and bows and trying to find the floor that I knew was there somewhere. Maggie and I had to get dressed as we were going to my mother's house for Christmas dinner. Mike elected to stay home, which was probably a smart idea. My mother was still not warmed up to his presence, for good reason, and I didn't want to have to referee should anyone make a comment that would set him off. I felt bad about him being alone on Christmas Day, but... I felt worse about the idea of not seeing my family and having Maggie spend time with them. He was a grown-up. He'd be okay, I hoped. My mother came and picked us up, and we went back to her house. We had an amazing dinner. My sister and brother were there. Various aunts and uncles and cousins came over for visits, and Mom sent us home with tons of leftovers and snacks, which Mike was very pleased with as well. All in all, it had been a successful holiday. I would have to work with Mike on the gift-giving thing, but he'd get there in time. Maybe. <laughs> Let's take a short break now, and when we come back, we get ready for New Year's. Welcome back. Life proceeded quietly and drama-free for the week between Christmas and New Year's. We stayed up late and watched the ball drop on TV. I had ginger ale since I couldn't drink, being pregnant and all, and it was just nice and peaceful. Another peaceful and uneventful week had passed, and I was just about convinced that this was going to be a permanent thing. Until one night. 
Tina had called and was talking to Mike on the phone. She thanked him for sending the presents for the girls, and he played it off like he was Santa Claus, and asked if they liked the gifts. He glared at me while he was asking her with a tone of voice that didn't belie his anger. Towards the end of their discussion, I heard him say, Sucker, and then laugh and say goodbye. I raised an eyebrow and looked at him. I knew that the only time he ever said that was when I had said I love you on the phone. That was his standard reply. So it would stand to reason that Tina had said the same thing to him. Curious, but I didn't question him because I knew full well that that would have started a fight, and there was already one coming over the presents I had sent. He came and sat next to me and sighed dramatically. So, you sent the presents anyway, after I told you not to? Well, yes, I did. And he continued, well, why would you do that? You have no right to interfere with my relationship with my girls. Oh, I said, I think I do. After all, those girls will be our baby's half-sisters. They're family. I don't want them to forget about you or think that you don't care about them. But it's better if they do, he said. What? I asked, confused. They don't need a lifetime of an absent father. It's better if they forget about me and just move on with their lives. I shook my head and said, no, 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 no. My father was absent for many years of my childhood, and I never forgot about him. I never stopped wondering where he was, or if he loved me, or if he forgot about me. It was torture. Don't do that to them. They will not forget you. That's so wrong, Mike. Nah, you're wrong, he said. Mike Jr. forgot about me, and he's fine. Wait, who? My son, he said. He's a teenager now. He's better off without me. Wait, what son? Teenager? But who is his mother? Where are they? I had questions. Many questions. He sighed again and told me the story of Mike Jr. When Mike's mother had remarried, his stepfather had kids of his own about Mike's age. He had developed a crush on his new stepsister, and they decided to date. After a short time, she ended up pregnant, and he tried. He had tried so hard to make things work, but she was just crazy and mean, and he ended up leaving. Mike Jr. was just a baby at the time. She had been trying for years to get child support out of him. That's why he never filed his taxes, and he never spoke to either of them again. All right, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You have a teenage son who's named after you with your stepsister and you haven't contacted since he was a baby and you've never paid child support and you never even thought to mention him before? Yep, that's right, he nodded proudly. So you left her when your son was just a baby and you left Tina with a new baby too. Are there any others out there? Puh, what do you think? I just move all over the country having babies and leaving them? Don't be stupid, he yelled. I'm not being stupid, Mike. One is a problem. Two is a pattern. And that pattern concerns me a great deal. God, why do you always think the worst of me? How do you think I feel about leaving my kids, huh? Did you ever think about that? Oh, here we go, I thought. The great martyr appears. I sighed and just let him rant for a bit. When he was done, I said that I expected him to try to make things right with all of his children, even Mike Jr. I wouldn't stand for anything else, but I would help him. I told him we'd get in touch with Mike Jr. and we'd make a payment arrangement with both of his exes for child support, 
It wouldn't be a lot, but we'd send something every week or other week or at least every month, and I'd do the budget over and see what we could manage. He said no, he wasn't sending anyone any money. They could sue him if they wanted to. I tried to explain that this affected me as well, especially if we were going to get married. I had a say in his financial situation, how he dealt with his children was obviously of concern to me, as I was going to be giving birth to one of his children myself. He told me that I just didn't understand. Those kids were all better off without him, and they were his past. I was his future, and so was our baby, and we would be fine. But I had to let this go. This was none of my business, and if I interfered again, he'd be pissed, so drop it. I dropped it, but only for the moment. Suddenly, I felt that old, familiar, nauseous, dizzying feeling again. Yuck, I hadn't felt this in months, and I did not like it. I wasn't sure what I was going to do about it, but I wouldn't allow him to go on and ignore his children like this. I'd find a way to fix this somehow. But I also now had a new worry. Was this his pattern, and should I anticipate the same kind of treatment once our baby was born? That thought was so horrible that I banished it from my mind as fast as it had appeared. The rest of January passed calmly. I had these uneasy thoughts in the back of my mind, but he was being overly sweet and loving, trying to put my mind at ease, and I didn't pick any fights over it. Maybe it would be okay. Only time would tell, really. There was one moment of contention, though. I had woken in the middle of the night with a terrible cramp in my back. I could not get comfortable and get back to sleep. So I got up, I took the couch cushions and put them back on the couch, and went to sleep there. Instant relief. Oh, it was so comfortable, and I slept like a baby. The next morning, Mike woke me up angrily. Why are you sleeping on the couch? Sleeping with me isn't good enough for you anymore? No, I said angrily in return. I am five months pregnant, and sleeping on the floor is not helping anything. It has nothing to do with you at all. I just need more support while I'm laying down. Psh, you're pregnant. You're not dead. You're not some kind of special needs medical patient. You can sleep on the floor just fine. I thought being next to me meant something to you. And I lost it. I said, you know what? It does mean something to me, but since you're stashing more than half of your paychecks away in some secret bank account while I pay all the damn bills, I can't afford a bed. Why don't you buy one if sleeping next to me is so important to you? I am pregnant. And you got me pregnant, so it's your own damn fault. You want to sleep with me? Go buy a damn bed or shut up about it. I stormed into the bathroom, slammed the door, and took a long, long shower. I was angry, not sad, and I was not going to back down. I was done sleeping on the floor, and he could suck it. When I came out of the bathroom, I noticed that the couch cushions were gone. Where did you put them? I asked him, exasperated. Outside, during the dumpster, he said, with a self-satisfied smirk on his face. I swore under my breath and went outside to the dumpster. I got the cushions and brought them back inside. I made quite a production out of scrubbing them and leaving them upright to dry. I didn't say anything to him, and he didn't say anything to me. That night, I went to bed on the couch and stayed there all night, and he never said another word about it. Things returned to normal again for a while. One day, in early February, he came to me and said that he had quit his job at McDonald's. He didn't like the people there, and this one girl wouldn't stop hitting on him. Now, I never got to the bottom of that story, but I never really wanted to either. 
He also informed me that he had to leave the next day and go back to Florida for a few weeks to finish his anger management classes. He couldn't do them here, and there was a warrant out for his arrest now. Wait, what? Man, I hated these kinds of surprises. I don't do well with the constant upheaval and instability, and the last two months had lulled me into a false sense of security. Now this was threatening everything all over again. I also suddenly remembered that phone call with Tina and his sucker comment. I ran to the bathroom and threw up. Good grief, I did not need this crap right now. He followed me in, not to hold my hair back or to see if I was okay, but to start ranting at me. I don't know why you're so upset. I'm only going for two weeks. I'll be right back. I gotta finish these classes, then I'll be free of this whole mess. Don't worry, I'll call every day and it's only two weeks. You'll be fine. I'll be back. He kept saying that over and over. I wasn't sure if he was trying to convince me or himself or simply impersonating the Terminator. The next day, I got up and showered while he packed a bag. We had breakfast and then he called a cab to take him to the train station. I said goodbye and cried a little, but he was being sweet and warm and loving and said that he would call me at every stop on the way. The cab arrived and beeped, and he went downstairs and left. After he was gone, I went to get something from the closet and saw that all of his clothes were gone. I checked the dresser, and all of his drawers were empty. I looked by the TV and on the bookcase, and all of his video game consoles, movies, and games were gone. I rushed around the apartment like a crazy person, checking everywhere, Everything of his was gone. How did that even happen? I was right there. When did he pack? Oh, wait a minute, I figured. I was in the shower. He must have packed everything and brought it downstairs lightning fast and then made it look like he only had one bag with a few clothes in it. My God, he wasn't coming back, was he? I got Maggie dressed really quick and I called a cab of my own. I wasn't going to let this go without a fight. We headed to the train station, and I got there before his train had boarded, thankfully. He was shocked to see me, of course, but I confronted him right away. I saw all of his bags on the floor beside him. Why are you taking everything you own if you're only going for two weeks, hmm? Why? You're not coming back, are you? I said, borderline hysterical at this point. What? Oh my God, is that what you think? Oh, honey, of course not. I'm just taking stuff so I can have something to do for two weeks. You know computer games are my thing. I need something to do while I'm there, that's all. But all of your clothes, I asked, including the winter clothes I got you for Christmas? It's 60 degrees in Florida. You aren't going to need thermal underwear there. No, I won't, he said, but I'm wearing them now, see? It's still cold here. He lifted his shirt, and sure enough, he was wearing them. All right, maybe I was overreacting. But why did you hide it all from me, I asked. You had to know that I'd realize everything was gone a minute after you left. Well, yeah, but I didn't want you to panic. I knew that you'd think that no matter what I said. <sighs> I sat down on the bench next to him and just cried. He held me and kissed me and tried very, very hard to convince me that I was just feeling emotional because I was pregnant. I wasn't thinking clearly. His train was called and he had to go. I love you. I'll be back in two weeks. I'll call you when I get to New York. That's our first stop. I nodded, and I watched him board the train. I stood there with Maggie holding my hand, 
and we watched the train pull out of the station. My heart was crushed. I knew that he wasn't coming back, and I could barely even breathe. After the train had gone completely out of view, I went outside and found us another cab back home. We got inside, and I took stock of everything. There were a few of his t-shirts left in a drawer. The nice expensive watch I had bought him for Christmas was still on top of the dresser. Well, that was good. Maybe I could return it, because now money was going to be a big issue again. I sat down on the couch and cried for hours. The phone rang, and I answered it quickly. It was him. He had stopped in New York and had a few minutes to call before the train left again. He was as sweet as could be, loving, reassuring. He swore on everything he held sacred that he would be back, and I just needed to relax. He would call me at the next stop and said he loved me more than anything. Don't forget that. I love you, I said. Sucker, he said. He did call again later from another stop, and we had the exact same conversation. He'd be arriving in Florida the next morning and would call me once he was at Tina's. I still wasn't convinced that he was coming back. His story of why he took everything didn't make a lot of sense, and I was just overwhelmingly sad. The next morning, I woke late and I checked the caller ID to make sure I hadn't missed a call. Nope, nothing. Hmm. I decided to call him. After all, Tina knew the situation, so she shouldn't be surprised that I was looking for him. The phone rang, but there was no answer. I figured he must be in the shower or something, and I called back an hour later. Still no answer. Well, what the heck, man? An hour later, no answer. Another hour, no answer. Another hour, and finally he answered the phone. What do you want? He yelled at me. What? You were supposed to call me this morning. I was worried. I do not want to talk to you, he yelled into the phone. What part of that don't you understand? And he hung up. What the hell? I called right back because, remember, I only learn things the hard way. He answered again and just screamed at me. I don't want you. Don't ever call here again. I am done with you. F off. Click. And that was that. Tune in to the next episode where I try to pick up the pieces of my life and figure out what on earth had just happened. Until then, thanks for listening and take care. People ask me what my secret-